Hey, welcome back to the Boring Launch Podcast. This week, we will talk about how making games have changed significantly over the years and how best to deal with the never-ending cycle of working on a live game. I'm your host, Raymond Arifianto. Let's get started. Hey everyone, welcome back. Today with me, I have William Ho. We met in Sweden, right? Uh, when we were working in, in Gothenburg, Sweden. Sweden. In Gothenburg, Sweden. And you've been around the games industry for, for a while. So why don't you tell us how has your career taken you, Will? Yeah, uh, thanks, Raymond. Uh, it's really great being on this uh, the show with you. Um, 25 years, I guess I've been in the industry, about 25 years, more or less. Uh, I started off doing QA at Radical Entertainment in beautiful Vancouver, uh, BC, and uh, you know got to test all sorts of different uh, games that they're working on. Uh, I tested a hockey game. We tested uh, Independence Day. We uh, I tested this uh, futuristic tag game called Grid Runner, which was uh, super fun at the time. And so you know, really gained a lot of experience testing lots of different games. And then you know, after about uh, eight months of that got into game design so i've been a game designer slash creative director all this time i went into uh, work, uh designing some uh sports uh games at radical and then that was sort of a dream come true because i, I love playing uh hockey being a good canadian boy i love playing uh the angel games growing up so it's a, a real honor uh, and dream come true being able to work on sports games and especially hockey and then a little uh later uh another one of my dreams came true i got to work on need for speed because i grew up loving cars and hot wheels and trying to program my my own uh, racing games on my Atari 800XL computer uh, in my mm-hmm. bedroom. So being able to work on a, a major racing franchise like Need for Speed was another dream come true. So I, I feel really uh, honored that I was able to uh, achieve that. Worked on Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 at uh, Black Box Games, again in Vancouver. A little later on, I, I went to a little startup called Pseudo Interactive in uh, Toronto. Actually, I, I I should give them credit. It wasn't a startup when I joined them, but it mm-hmm. to, to their benefit, it felt like a startup. Like we had this right. amazing uh, technology for Xbox 360 and had you know really great backing from Microsoft to bring this sort of next gen physics and collision tech uh, to Xbox 360. And we made a, a little launch title called uh, Full Auto, uh, where you got to strap like huge guns to cars and race them around cities and blow up buildings and uh, that. That was super fun. To continue the tour of my uh, my career, I guess uh, I, I moved back to Vancouver to uh, an actual startup called United Front Games, uh, where we decided to uh, make karting games because you know, who didn't love growing up playing the Mario Kart games uh, on uh, on Nintendo? And so we really wanted to marry sort of the next gen at the time on PS3, like graphics and the storage and the network capabilities with a, a great karting experience and then really, really sophisticated but easy to use user-generated content. So you can make your own uh, custom characters and carts and and what we're most proud of is is you're able to make your own custom racetracks in uh, less than a minute so that Mm -hmm. uh, was mod nation racers we then did a little big planet karting which uh, infused all of that uh, tech and creativity with Sackboy. uh oh man i'm going on and on what what (laughs) year are we at now And then uh, you, you, Raven, and I met in, in Sweden working on Need for Speed again. So uh, my dream came true again, working on Need for Speed. Uh, what uh, eventually became Need for Speed Payback in Sweden at Ghost Games. Uh, we had a great time there. After that, I, I went uh, back to my original dream job, which was working on uh, EA Sports NHL. So most recently as creative director on uh, on that franchise, and you know got to 
relive that, but in, in a different way, because time has marched on and technology has been, it was just completely different and being able to bring my passion for, for hockey to serve new audiences and using new tech in a completely different context than 20 years before that uh, was a really, really cool experience. Thanks for sharing all the passions that you had. A side tangent here. I know that racing and driving are one of your big passion. One mm. of the things that I remembered was we've had road trips when we were in Sweden. And <laughs> one, of the, one of the road trips was uh, we were driving from Gothenburg to uh, Malmo, right? To the, to the yeah. border of uh, Denmark. What were, what, what were we doing at that time? I, I remember that trip fondly because um, you know, living in Sweden, it, it's such a gorgeous country, right? We, we lived on the West Coast where they have these yep. amazing rocky coastlines and this gorgeous uh, ar- archipelago. Right? You, you discover all these little islands, and then when you go on these islands, there are these medieval castles and fortresses to discover. And then you drive through these rolling hills, the gorgeous countryside in Sweden. But mm. um, despite all of that, our, our objective for that trip was to go to the only KFC that we knew existed in Sweden. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So, I surprise. Yeah, so Sweden was gorgeous, lovely place to drive through, but uh, we we really needed to just get our fix of uh, American fried chicken. That's right. That's right. And, <laughs> and it was it was it was gloriously oily and but Oh, it didn't thing. disappoint. It didn't disappoint. <laughs> uh, I think I think the Swedes have a reputation for, you know, eating really fresh food and eating very balanced meals, but uh hey, they they love their dirty bird as well. So <laughs> Uh, yeah, mission accomplished that time. So in your career, like, you know, you started with the QA role, right? And then like, you know, mm-hmm. you went to production team and then like you actually go on to do a creative design. What have you observed in this 25 years on how we make games and eventually like how we release those experiences to the world as launch? Yeah, that's a really good question. I, I think that's, you know, getting into game design, like I, I think you know, from my own experiences and through all the game designers I've worked with and mentored and trained and just just hung around with is it really starts with that passion of bringing the, uh, your ideas right to the world, right? You want someone else to feel what you're feeling, right? You try and create an experience that you love, but that you want others to love at the same time. And I think during those early years before, you know, the huge marketing juggernauts and sort of shakeout of, you know, all these different games and you like, there's just a few games that are massive, right? That people go to and play for hundreds of hours. But I think 20, 25 years ago is really about new experiences, right? Every game that you bought for your PS1 or PS2 or N64, your Dreamcast, whatever, right? Like mm-hmm. every single game had something new and fresh that, you know, some game designer and you know his or her team wanted to bring to the world, right? And I think we had that luxury. We had that freedom to really explore what the technology could bring to players. And I think it, it was just such an invigorating time to get into the industry that, you know, I'll, I'll never forget and I'll, I'll never take for granted that 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 freedom and that I, I think just, you know, creative... Um, you know, I, I come back to the word freedom. It, it, it is was just the freedom to explore, and then someone would let us actually release these games into the world for people <laughs> for people to play, right? And sometimes they were uh, polished, sometimes they weren't. You know, something that was you know very unique to the time, which we forget in the uh, today's day and age of you know title updates and patches and DLC and you know battle passes, where games are mm. constantly evolving. Like back then. You poured all of your effort into going uh, what was going on to that disc or that cartridge because right. what got burned on there was going to be your legacy, right? 
So <laughs> the, what's it? The golden built, right? It's exactly the gold disc, right? So wh- whatever disc, yeah. went on that, that gold disc was what that game was going to be forever. So you would, you would just pull out all the stops, right? You'd work like any hour, all hours. You would, you would just test and tune your game and make sure that what you're releasing was something you were proud of, mm-hmm. right? And that mm-hmm. if there was something that was subpar, you'd, you'd often just cut that, right? Because you didn't have an opportunity to, oh, get that into a patch or get that into a, you know, a DLC pack. You know, those ideas, you sort of had to be disciplined and go, all right, this isn't going to be good enough to make it onto that gold disc. So, all right, we're just going to hold that back and maybe put that into our next game, right? Yep. But we're going to bust yep. our butts to try to tune our game uh, as best we can. Uh, and I'll use one example is Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll modestly boast that that was the highest rated Need for Speed game for many, many years, mm-hmm. right? Because we actually were able to, we had the luxury of having the time to just test and tune it, right? And really nail the AI, really nail the, the driving physics, really nail the tracks so they're, they're all smooth and great to drive on. And mm-hmm. and to this day, people still tell me that that was a great game that they remember fondly. Um right. A little bit of a side note, like you you sort of meet people in the industry who you ask each other like, okay, you know, who are you? What have you done? What games have you worked on? And then, you know, I I bring up Need for Speed Hot Pursuit 2 and people go, oh, wow, I really love that game. And, you know, the reason why I know that's not lip service is because they always say, you know, there was that one race. It was Championship Tree Event 29. It was impossible (laughs) to win. Right? (laughs) So they're quoting a race that was too difficult to play at the end of the campaign. So I knew right. they played it. I knew they loved it because they right. tried to beat right. that race. Right. Right. So, but coming back to my previous point is my tuning for that race. That, was, that race was my personal pet race that I loved the most. And so I tuned mm-hmm. it for myself. I tuned it a bit too difficult. Mm-hmm. Right. But because mm-hmm. we couldn't patch it, because we didn't have mm-hmm. the luxury of tweakables and, and, yep. it, is and, what, it, and it is what it is. It is what it is. And to this day, that race is a bit too difficult for, for uh, a lot of players to, to win. So, you know, that, that was the day and age where, yeah, I mean, that what went on that disc is a, a product of your passion, but also, hey, I mean, that, that was the last chance. Like the, the train leaves the station and it, it, it's gone forever. So, right. Yeah. And, and these days, like with the technologies that we have, where basically you release, a game and then you do day one or day zero patch sometimes mm-hmm. right? like the, and then you do day one patch day 30 patch day whatever right i mean like there are a lot of balancing uh, that happens there's a lot of content that didn't make it to the gold disc quote quote right and it almost becomes a standard right now yeah how do you see the main difference for the folks that's working on on the game right like you said like you know back in the days like the that you have one shot, but right now mm-hmm. you don't really have one shot. You have multiple shots. Right? That's so right. Like all all kind of compounding, building on top of the previous one. Yeah, How now it's that- exactly the opposite problem, right? You're not busting your butts just for that, you know, day one launch. Right now, it's actually a continual burn. Right, you actually have multiple shots to try to get it right, and even even more so if you have the luxury to do so. Right, I I, I say luxury, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's sort of luxury slash burden of doing so because now you're hearing from fans constantly. You're getting that feedback. Mm-hmm. You're getting you know all the the data that's streaming in, right? So you've got the analytics of like where are people hitting 
you know, uh, dead stops? Where are people, you know, not flowing through the game, right? You're, you have to address that continually, not just through patches, but through online tweakables. You're also managing players' expectations that, all right, we hear you. Now, now we have to fix it, right? You look at the Gran Turismo situation right now, mm-hmm. right? Where it's disastrous how they rebalance the game post-launch. And now they're having to re- react the opposite way. And really, you know, they got review bombed, like <laughs> thousands of, of uh, terrible reviews because they rebalanced their game. And, and you know, that that's something that I think that um, you have to, as developers and designers and producers, like actually kind of get ahead of that, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to launch the game as best as possible so that, all right, you get those... Uh, early adopters, you know, those uh, core fans really being satisfied, but then listening to them. But then also, how do you juggle all of that tuning effort and all of that testing efforts and the, you know, the the bug fixing effort post-launch, right? You're Mm -hmm. actually eating into that time where you might otherwise be uh, dreaming up the next game. You might be in pre-production. You might want to be prototyping, right? But the finaling that used to just be final on that date now it just continues and continues and continues. And often the people who, you know, are involved in that process of, you know, tuning and testing and rebalancing and, and, and really polishing that game post-launch are the exact same people that you want to be dreaming up the next game and to be right. in pre-production and designing and, and not have to juggle those demands. So I think it's uh, way more difficult than it used to be. You know, used to be we would launch a game and then everyone would just play the game for a couple of weeks and then go on vacation and come back refreshed. But now you're just constantly doing something and you're doing multiple somethings and these somethings are actually contrary to each other, right? Am I finaling? Am I starting? Am I like, am I dreaming? Am I fixing? Like it's actually uh, very, very demanding to juggle those various demands now. One thing that you mentioned just now is being cognizant about this is the reality we live in right now and this is the expectation of the industry and the players that your game never really ends like your game never mm-hmm. really completes it's um for all intents and purposes these days when you ship a game you don't really know how long the game will be uh, mm-hmm. the development for the game right i mean like the yeah, look at look at game. look at no man's sky they they're continually yes finishing their game right will they ever be finished i mean good thing they have the luxury of a fan base that's with them right and they, they've been able mm-hmm. to you know go on that journey with uh, the developers for years now post-launch right to you know be able to play a game that is markedly different from the one they launched with what are the things that as a qa as a producer as creative director as designer what are the things that we can do in the industry to make that whole experience to be less stressful yeah you know i think one of the things i've learned uh in recent years is that because the cycle never really ends you know, we used to have, you know, distinct sort of beginning, middle and end, right? You'd have this, you know, glorious pre-production where you were just dreaming, right? You were just designing, you're prototyping, you're, you know, just creating, right? And then you get into a point where you understand where your game is, and then you're just sort of building that out, right? And then you have this really hard final, right? And, you know, when we were younger, and we didn't have as many obligations, we could really bust our butts to really final hard. And now now we call that crunch. But before that was just <laughs> us being passionate. Right? passionate. And then you take a break, right? And then, then you'd have that break, and then you'd start something new and fresh and, right. and and repeat that cycle but now that cycle sort of is like a snake eating its tail right mm-hmm. so you're just constantly mm-hmm. doing something right and like mm-hmm. i mentioned mm-hmm. a couple of minutes ago you're doing multiple somethings at the same time and so i think the biggest cause of stress and the, one of the biggest 
um, uh, things that we have to address as an industry is how do we keep people fresh, right? How do we keep people from going crazy? How do we keep people from, you know, being at war with themselves in their heads all the time because of all these various conflicting demands? And I think, um, you know, I think there's a level of self-care, right? And self-management and, and proactive self-care that we need to uh, instill in, you know, our designers or developers in, in our studio cultures to make sure that, hey, you know, people who are passionate about making games, if you just let them, they're going to continue just making games constantly, right? They're not going to want to take a break. They're not going to mm-hmm. want to be on vacation, you know, to recharge. They're not going to want to take that time even away, you know, just to be inspired by the things, right? Just to play other games or to experience other forms of art or just to go to places that in- inspire their next games, right? So I think that we do need to be proactive to build in sort of mini sabbatical time, right? It, it used to be in vogue for... You know, big companies to offer sabbatical after like seven years, right? You work seven years and you get a couple months off and that's when you're going to recharge, right? And then you're going to come back, you know, stronger, better, faster than ever. And you're going to make even better games after that. But I actually think that, you know, with the pace of technology, with the pace of change, with the demands from, you know, on development cycles and from players, I actually think that we need to build into culture people taking those breaks actively, right? I, I think we've seen that a bit in uh, uh, studio cultures like Google, right? You know, they, they have their 20% time where people, you know, can choose to work on what they, they want to work on. You know, that, that people, you know, demand for themselves that I'm going to take that time off and I'm going to spend it with people. I'm going to spend it with my dog. I'm going to spend it playing other games. I'm going to spend yep. it going to the art gallery to just proactively be less stressed and more inspired so that they can be more effective and make better games uh, constantly. Right, and they can be more inspired inspired and you know they can feed their creativity um, exactly for the next one love it. exactly yeah so will what's next for you is there anything that you can uh you can share with us yeah you know i think um i mentioned uh, earlier in this episode that i've been fortunate enough to uh, really pursue my dreams you know uh working on hockey games and sports games working on racing games and you know, uh, you know, combining other passions uh, in, in, into those genres. They're really been fortunate. And so uh, looking forward, uh, I've still got some uh, ideas for some games, but I also want to take some time to pursue some other passions in life. And, you know, you know what lessons have I, uh, can I take from my video game making experience into non-video game software developments, or even take, you know, all of that experience into non-software, right? Go into the real world and explore some analog passions of mine. So uh, looking to connect with uh, anyone who's, got ideas and to, to keep that creative uh, fire going in me. Um, but we'll, we'll see. And may, may, maybe uh, you'll have me back to, to, to talk about that sometime. For sure. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward for that. Uh, I really want to thank you for having me uh, on the, the Boring Launch podcast, Raymond. Uh, it's really exciting because uh, you've just started uh, this project. And it's so exciting when someone starts something new like this because you know, you're working so hard to get it off the ground. But also, if you sort of look into the crystal ball, you never know how far uh, these things are going to go. So you know, you're on episode, you can count on your fingers right now what episode, who, who, knows? <laughs> who knows what number you're going to get to. I just want to yep. congratulate you on this podcast. Uh, you've been doing a great job and uh, look forward to hearing uh, so much more. Uh, of the Boring Launch podcast. Thank you so much. And yeah, I really looking forward to see, you know, where you're going to be taking your your next creative endeavor to, right? And and hopefully I can get you back into the show to to talk about some of the the evolution of the things that you're seeing in the industry. Well, thank you so much Will for stopping by uh to the show. I hope this will be useful for folks who are listening and thanks for tuning in. And again, thank you Will, and hopefully one day we'll get to do a road trip again to go to KFC. Thanks so much. Looking forward to it. 
Hey, thanks for listening in. I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have any comments or feedback or any suggestions on any topics for future episodes, shoot me an email at hello at boringlaunch.gg. I would really love to hear from you. See you in the next episode. Bye.